everyone. This is Lonnie. I'm just popping in real quick to give you a heads up that there is discussion of both rape and suicide in this week's episode. Thanks. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert who likes her sex on top of the table, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and cool and sexy vampire fighting guy, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Get It Done, the 15th episode of season seven. Get It Done aired on February 18th, 2003, and was written and directed by Douglas Petrie. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go and take care of that, and we'll just keep working on the big board, waiting for a pattern to emerge. Via concursus, tempus, spatium, audi, me, ut imperio, screw it. Mighty forces, I suck at Latin, okay? But that's not the issue. Let's go on patrol. In Get It Done, we open with Buffy's dream where she sees a potential named Chloe crying in the corner of the upstairs hallway. Buffy tries to talk to her and is immediately attacked by Sinea, the first slayer who tells her that it's not enough. Out in Sunnydale, Spike and Anya are walking to the bronze, lamenting being demons, or ex-demons, in a house full of potential slayers. Anya hits on Spike, thinking maybe it's a date, but Spike isn't interested. A hit demon attacks, saying he's there to kill Anya for Dehofren. Spike knocks the demon down, then grabs Anya and runs. At the school, Buffy and Robin Wood deal with some teenage miscreants, and Wood notices that the misbehavior is getting worse. It started, hasn't it? Wood gives Buffy a big leather bag that belonged to his mother and tells her it's a Slayer emergency kit, and he asks to see Slayer Central. She gives him the tour, and they end up in the basement with Spike, who is arguing with Anya about the safest way to protect her from Dehofren's hit squad. Spike played it safe, hitting the demon and running away, rather than killing the demon, which is what old Spike would have done. Spike welcomes Wood to the team, and he and Wood talk about Spike's soul and how he's changed now. Wood asks questions about his history, and he and Spike stare each other down. Buffy says she should show Wood the rest of the place. I think we better get back upstairs. Right. Give him the full tool. You don't want to miss a look at a weapons chest. Dawn tells Buffy about the stuff from Nikki Wood's emergency kit, which included a box that she couldn't open. She figures the good stuff's in there. As they talk, they go into the bathroom and discover Chloe's body hanging from the ceiling. The first, as Chloe stands beside the body and taunts Buffy and the potentials, especially Kennedy, who played the abusive drill sergeant with Chloe earlier that day. The first quotes Buffy about how some of the girls are going to die, then blips out. Buffy buries Chloe in the backyard, and then goes back in to give everyone a dose of tough love. She criticizes them all. Anya for not contributing, Willow for not using her power, and Spike for holding back. I did this for you. The soul, the changes, it's what you wanted. What I want is the Spike that's dangerous. The Spike that tried to kill me when we met. Oh, you don't know how close you are to bringing him out. I'm nowhere near him. Buffy tells Dawn to break out Nikki Wood's emergency kit. They're going to find out what's in the box. Buffy breaks open the lock, and inside are figures carved out of metal and a turning base. Shadow puppets. That's it. The first hates puppets. Dawn says the device is a shadow caster. You put them in motion, and they tell a story. Dawn says it's an origin myth, the story of the first Slayer. Buffy says she saw the first Slayer in her dream, so that's got to mean something. They light a candle and put the figures in place. Dawn struggles to translate the Sumerian, saying that first there were demons, then men, and the men chained a girl to the earth and gave her the power to fight the demons. It says you cannot be shown. You cannot just watch, but you must see. See for yourself, but only if you're willing to make the exchange. When did you get so good at Sumerian? It's not in Sumerian anymore. The device spins and a portal opens. Buffy wants to go through, but no one knows how it works, if she's ready, or if they'll be able to get her back. Buffy tells them to figure it out and dives through. The portal closes and then a demon zaps into the living room and starts tossing everybody about. Willow tries magic on the demon and Wood and Kennedy try to fight it. Spike jumps on the demon's back and tells everyone to leave and let him do his thing. Before he can do his thing though, the demon throws him through the ceiling into the room above and then runs away because they broke a nail fighting Spike and Sally Beauty closes at nine. I mean, that's not textual, just a guess. With the demon gone, the group regroups and tries to figure out what to do. Xander says it's spell o'clock. Which spell? I mean, didn't you see that thing? And you expect to reopen the portal without sending Willow off the deep end? 
Thanks for your support. While Buffy lands in a desert landscape, Willow tries to figure out how to get her back. She and Anya determine that they need some items to work the transfer, and they need the demon for the exchange. Spike shows up and tells Willow to get working on the spell. He's going to get the demon. But first, he needs to go get something. In the desert, Buffy comes across a group of African men who say they know who she is and they've been waiting for her. They tell her she's the Hellmouth's last guardian. This is the end. They say they can't give her knowledge. They can only give her power. She wakes up in a cave, chained to the ground, and they start the ritual. They open a box, releasing dark demon energy, which comes after Buffy, who screams and pushes it away, telling the men to make it stop. They refuse. At school, Spike goes through his stuff and pulls out his coat, Nikki Wood's coat. As he stalks through the hallway to go fight the demon, Wood stands by. Nice coat. Where'd you get it? New York. At the house, Willow commands ancient energies to open the portal, and when they don't respond, her eyes go black and she pulls energy from Kennedy and Anya behind her, creating the portal. Kennedy and Anya fall to the ground, and Xander pulls Willow out of her magic sand circle as the black drains from her hair and eyes. In an alley, Spike fights the demon and loves it. In the cave, Buffy refuses the dark energy and faces down the shadow men. You violated that girl, made her kill for you because you're weak, you're pathetic, and you obviously have nothing to show me. Buffy pulls the chains up from the ground and fights the Shadow Men. Spike kills the demon in the alley. Buffy breaks the Shadow Men's staff, and then one of them puts his hand on her head and gives her a vision. Back at the house, Spike arrives and throws the demon's body through the portal. Buffy is pulled back into the house where she looks scared as she takes in the group of people around her. Later, Willow checks in on Kennedy and apologizes for taking her energy. Kennedy says it hurt. Willow says it's who she is. It's how she works. Kennedy walks away. Willow then goes to check in on Buffy, who says she might have made a mistake refusing the power from the Shadow Men. Willow says they'll get by, but Buffy doesn't think so. Willow asks what Buffy saw, and Buffy flashes on hundreds of Cuthberts screaming in the Hellmouth. All right, Noelle, so here we are. Get it done. Episode 15, Season 7. We are in the home stretch now. How do you feel about this episode? Okay. I mean, I like that we're... We are moving the story along. We mm-hmm. are we have we have opened up some literal and figurative portals. We have things happening, but oh boy, is this disturbing as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we knew this was coming because we're a fully spoiled podcast, but the here's where the <laughs> slayer line came from bit is uh it's a lot. It's a lot. It it is a lot, and it feels a little unnecessary to me. Like, I don't think we needed to absolutely go that far. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in our story section. Uh, but one of the first things I wanted to talk about today is kind of the the feminism of Buffy. Like, we've talked about this a lot, you know. Um, Buffy as a show gets a lot of credit for being feminist, mostly based on its subversive premise. The stereotypical victim becomes the thing that monsters are afraid of. Um, but its treatment of women, and especially, I think, its enabling and co-signing of a lot of patriarchal power structures contradicts this, you know, great feminist text. Um, I don't know that it's a great feminist text. I think it is a text that has feminism in it in certain mm-hmm. ways. Um, but, you know, I mean, as I say this, though, I'm going to say, like, you know, I've been a shitty feminist at times. We've all been shitty feminists at times. It's kind of how the process works. You know, mm-hmm. we are all works in progress. We are all complex. We are all a collection of both good and bad qualities. We are a mix of the strong and the weak. And since our stories are a reflection of us, then our stories are also going to be complex, a mix of good and bad, both wonderful and not so great kind of at the same time. And we sort of have to allow for those things to exist at the same time that that while we can look at Buffy and be like, eh, I'm not sure it's really great feminism, you know, a lot of this stuff that goes on here um, and still appreciate the areas where where it is really good. You know, I mean, Buffy presented us with this patriarchal watchers council that treated young girls like tissues to be used and disposed of. And for the first three seasons, like we didn't seriously question that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think when we get to Helpless in season three, we see this ritual that they set up that is designed to kill slayers at the age of 18, probably about the time they start to realize that this whole thing is bullshit mm-hmm. and that they don't need the Watcher's Council. Um, so we have that in season three. We start to see the Watcher's Council as being 
you know, not a great organization. But it took us this long to get there, this long of having Giles telling Buffy what to do, of having Giles get paid to be a watcher and watch over her while she gets nothing, while the families of all these dead girls get nothing, while the families of all these dead girls may not have known that their kid was a slayer in the first place. I mean, it is when you sit and think about it, a fucked up system. Mm -hmm. But throughout the run of the show, we're not really asked to sit and think about it not until we get to helpless um and then we get with wesley and we deal with kind of the the um watchers council as antagonist you know but still giles is a watcher Mm -hmm. and he's good so we have kind of this complex relationship with the watchers council um and until we get to season five where we get to checkpoint and finally buffy is like fuck all y'all get out of my town you know Mm -hmm. and then that's it until now where they've been you know blown up right um And so now we're going back in this episode to the original Watchers, which, you know, in this episode we refer to as the Shadow Men. Um, They offer Buffy power in return for her allowing demon energy to violate her, and she refuses. Even though the weight of the world, as it has always been, remains on her shoulders, she has the responsibility for saving it over and over and over again. She's already died twice for this mission. And now that she has the option of taking power from them, she understands how horribly corrupted that power is and refuses it. Um, And through this, we see what the first Slayer, named in the comics as Sinea, although we never actually name her in the show itself, um, what Sinea went through to get her power and the fact that she had to be chained to the earth in Mm -hmm. order to get it makes you think that maybe she didn't really want it. You know, that this was in no way a consensual situation. Um, But we have no representation for her here aside from seeing Buffy live through what we imagine she must have been put through. Um, So I don't think that she had necessarily the power to say no. Um, Buffy refuses their offer of power, which is a strong stance. It's a woman saying you have told me my only path of power is through you, and I reject that premise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think it acknowledges the ways in which women historically have been forced to get their power through men by playing that game, by playing whatever game it is that the men have decided they need to play. And she's refusing to play that game. And I think that this is actually like a big moment. I think that this is a feminist moment. And I really like that she refuses it. There are other things about this that I don't care for. We're going to get to that in a little bit. <laughs> but just her her ability to say, you're giving me power with your rules, your yeah. way. And I don't accept that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that is an extremely powerful moment. And I love the little coda of her breaking the staff across her knee and saying, yeah, it's always the staff. <laughs> you know, I, it's mm-hmm. great. I mean, it's very, it's very, very buffy in this moment of refusing refusing to go along with this system that told her and all of the all of the potentials really that it would protect them while also putting them in grave danger all the time forever there's a there's a bit of a throwaway line early in the episode buffy says something about i think she's explaining to wood what's going on with Mm -hmm. all of these potentials. And she says something about like, essentially we thought the Watcher's Council would protect the potentials, but now Mm -hmm. that's gone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, would it really have protected them though? Like it's kind of it, the, the acknowledgement that, that yeah, we'd sort of been leaning on the power of the Watcher's Council all along, but of course now that's gone. I mean, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's gone literally and that it, was blown up but also it's gone in the sense that even if it hadn't have been blown up the watchers mm-hmm. council wasn't going to protect these potentials not really they weren't going to do anything not based I mean, on, yeah is, their track yeah. record of protecting anybody is kind of it's pretty shitty. Good. i mean and the thing yeah. is they actually have a ritual designed to kill these girls at the age of 18 yeah. anyone who becomes a slayer they designed a ritual meant to kill slayers mm-hmm. like that in itself 
is so unbelievably evil on top of everything else they do, which is highly, highly questionable. Um, but I kind of, I kind of like, I don't think it's, it's intentional, but I kind of like the way that in the beginning, we just sort of blindly accept that the Watcher's Council is a force of good because it is a force of Giles and Giles is good. So it must be okay without really questioning all of these things, like textually, we are not encouraged at all to question the Watcher's Council until we get to Helpless in mm -hmm. season three. Um, and then slowly, it feels like we have that dawning realization that this is some bullshit, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it isn't until now when Buffy goes back and faces the original Watchers, right? I yeah. mean, I guess yeah, I, you would I call guess. them the original Watchers. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, um, and says, this is not okay. This is not acceptable, you know, and we actually textually put our foot down and say, this is not all right. Um, and I just, I like that moment. I like that moment of taking her power back. And then we have that at the end where she questions whether she did the right thing. Yeah. Because what she has to fight, now that she knows what she has to fight, um, she's not sure if she made the right choice, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, again, that that her choice is to allow herself to be violated by dark demon energy you know, in order to fight and save the rest of the world. Like, how can I live in a world in which these are the choices? You know, like we've had Buffy say that before. She's had to make terrible choices all along. And then there she is once again, needing to make terrible choices. Mm -hmm. And I think that I like the choice that she makes. I like that she says, no, I yeah. don't need you. I will find another way. Well, I like that she comes down on the side of humanity too, especially yeah. after being mm -hmm. so cold earlier in the episode, I think by necessity, you know, being mm -hmm. cold because what they're facing is ridiculously challenging. Mm -hmm. But then she, she, she has to make that pivot of, yeah. wait a minute, like become, like gain this extra power and lose my, lose some of my humanity. No, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, I think and she'll that's find a, another way. That's a really powerful choice. Like when she's mm -hmm. actually in the situation where, yes, I will become less human in order to mm -hmm. fight this darkness. No, no. Mm -hmm. Even though I think that we see her kind of on the edge of that when she is so emotionless <laughs> earlier mm -hmm. in the episode i mean we've seen yeah. we've seen emotionless buffy before but mm -hmm. she's clearly she's clearly going through it with this you know she's declared war and the reality mm -hmm. of that is is in, the, the gravity of that is increasing on her um it absolutely is it absolutely is and i think we'll get to that in just a second one of the things that i wanted to um kind of come back to before we moved away from this choice that buffy makes is the implications of rape that are involved in the the origin story for you know the slayer line oh yeah um we see the black smoke first it tries to get in through her nose and her face and it's coming at her chest and they talk about how it's a demon's heart and the heart trying to go into her heart i'm like okay you know like mm -hmm. i like i like that i think that works but then we get this wide shot in which the black smoke is trying to get under buffy's skirt mm -hmm. you know which really is a rape you know, metaphor. I mean, not even really that metaphorical. It's just demon energy rape, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and knowing that this is how this was done to Sinea um, is really, really disturbing. Um, but we don't address that. I mean, Buffy refuses. She tells them they're, they're violating her. That's the closest we get to calling it what it is. Well, and she, yeah, um, she, yeah. she talks about not getting knocked up with demon energy. Not getting knocked too, up and all of that. Yeah, which exactly. Which is specifically, I mean, a specific mm -hmm. pregnancy reference. I mean, that's pretty powerful in its own right. Yeah. The idea yeah, of but it's also kind of a casual way of yeah. talking about like knocked up is the funny way of talking about I got pregnant, you yeah. know, um, and to make that kind of a reference in a rape context feels 
minimizing of of what this actually is, which is part of what bothers me so much about this particular way that they're they're showing us the demon entering Buffy, how it's mm-hmm. going to try to enter Buffy. Yeah. Um, and it's a problem for me in general in a lot of stories that we go to rape a lot and we don't deal with it. We use it for shock value. We use it for titillation. And we rarely address it as a serious big deal, mm-hmm. which then contributes to our cultural perception that it's not a big deal, that rape is exciting story fodder. And that's it, you know. Um, and every time I see rape treated that way, like it's nothing. You know, I find it personally, I mean, I find it personally upsetting anytime there's a rape storyline. I think that you have to take that seriously. Um, but to to throw it out there casually and treat it like it's not that big a deal, especially with the way in which that we have otherized and dehumanized, uh, made Sinea literally bestial. And we're calling her Sinea. She wasn't even named in the show. She was named in the comics, mm-hmm. you know, like she wasn't even given a name at this point, she didn't have an identity. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> she was the first slayer. She was primal. She was bestial. And we didn't see her as human. Um, but we don't really address the fact that this happened to her. You mm-hmm. know, we're telling the story not just of what Buffy is refusing, but of what Sinea was not allowed to refuse, what she could not refuse, mm-hmm. you know, and what happened to her. Um, and so I find it disturbing and unnecessary. I think the demon energy going toward her heart was really where you want to to focus this metaphor because it's about getting into her and her protecting the humanity that remains within her heart. Um, that's what I wanted to see here. And this very casually drawn kind of rape analogy, um, I, I find just disturbing. Yeah, it's disturbing. And I think. I think it's meant to be. And I wonder how much of the casual feel to it mm-hmm. is related to being a primetime television series and how mm-hmm. much like this would look very. I think. You, well, OK, <laughs> backing up. I mm-hmm. think that this could be done. I think you could talk about I think you could talk about abuse of power and sexual assault and the way that women, especially women and young girls, are mm-hmm. used as tools for men in power. I think you could tell that story really um, carefully and with a lot of like, you know, a lot of like, like vivid Mm, mm, there's okay (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of potential here but we are also kind of having to dance around television and Mm -hmm. ratings so it is this it's a really really complicated decision i think Mm -hmm. to to do that because i think mm, it feels for me, for me, just mm-hmm. me, it feels important that there is some mm-hmm. indication of the sexual violence nature of this mm-hmm. arrangement because she is a girl and that is important and that has been important all along, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a very cis heteronormative kind of way. But it, well, exactly. It yeah. is like, mm-hmm. That has been the point. So if we're going back to the origin and the origin is there were men and they found a girl and they chained her to the earth. Mm -hmm. Part of the story is about the way girls and young women are abused by men. Mm -hmm. I, mm, I don't think that it has to... I I think that sometimes you can tell a story where rape is the thing that you're discussing Mm -hmm. or rape is the thing that you're pointing up and not not just leave it there as this like where the the shock is not just ooh rape, you know, you can tell Mm -hmm. that story and it feels it feels important to me that that is an element in this, but you absolutely have to address it. And I don't know how much they can 
address it in the format. You know what I mean? Like, that's exactly my point. Yeah, I, I don't mind talking about rape. Like, I don't mind these things being in stories. That is not the problem. The problem is them being in stories casually and then dismissed as though it's not a thing. Um, This is actually a very powerful metaphor for what has been happening to the Slayers throughout history since they were created. I think that this is actually not a terrible idea to do it this way. I think it's it's not executed with care and with consideration for what it actually is is discussing. It is used casually, it is thrown away casually, and we don't really address it anymore. We needed just a couple more little we needed a couple more acknowledging type moments. Like to me, yeah. I feel like Dawn saying as Dawn's reading and she gets to mm-hmm. They chained her to the earth. And then she's looking at the book and she says, I can't read this. I feel like that is a little acknowledgement of I can't like I can't read this. You know, obviously it's Mm -hmm. Sumerian at this point. So, you know, she can't Mm -hmm. read it. But also I can't say I can't say out loud what this is. And there's another way to read. I can't read. this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't I can't do this. I can't, I can't engage bear with this. to read this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we needed, and I think that yeah, we needed just a couple more of those moments, I think, to really give I that. I think you need a little more than that. But you do. I mean, you for need me, that acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you need that acknowledgement. You need it taken seriously. And that is just like it. I just need you to take it seriously. You know, um, it's a big deal. Um, It's it's a really big deal. And it's also a big deal because of what happened to Sinea, who has been, you know, throughout the run of Buffy, you know, really dehumanized. Yeah. Really otherized. Yeah. So that the fact that this happened to her and that that's how slayers were made. That's huge. It's horrifying. And it's something that speaks to the demon in the human, you know? Right. Um, and I think that that is, I think it's just something that needs that acknowledgement. Well, absolutely. Um, Especially because of the subtextual suggestion yeah. then that rape, that that being victimized makes a person less human. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. She's yeah. not losing her humanity. The people who are losing their humanity are the ones who did this to her. The people, you know, that's right. that's a little bit of a. Mm, I but don't. That's not the. That's not the message we're sending. That's not. That's yeah. never been the message with Sinea. That has never been the message with Sinea. Um. So it's it's a very very complicated. Um. It's a complicated thing in that I don't hate that it's being discussed. I yeah. hate that it's not being dealt with seriously enough. I yeah. I don't hate it as a metaphor. But I feel like if you're going to bring rape into your story, then do it. Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing. You know, either mm-hmm. leave it alone or take it the whole way. But to use it as a titillating moment and then to leave it there like, yeah, it sucks, but it's not that big a deal. I mean, come on. You know, right. um, that I think is is where I feel like we go wrong with that here. Um, so that's, you know, one of my big problems with Get It Done and part of what makes Get It Done kind of difficult uh, for me to watch whenever I watch it. It's always that part that just just generally tends to upset me. Um, but one thing that I really like I do, and you mentioned this, you know, when we first started talking about our responses is that we, we're moving. We're yeah. moving this story along. We've got a couple of escalations. Um, we get the hell mouth filled to the brim with Cuthbert. So there's that. Oh boy. That means things are worse than we thought they were. So that's a lovely escalation of the overall season arc and how difficult it is going to be to fight the first on that scale, um, especially because what we've been seeing all episode is even with this small army of these these girls you know they're not recruited they were chosen mm-hmm. you know they don't want this they're stuck you know yeah. and th- th- there's a difference in in their willingness to take on this role which again speaks again to consent which thematically does have some resonance with everything else that's been going on um but we've got that nice escalation with the cuthberts um and we've got the escalation of wood's conflict with spike which actually i really really liked all the wood and spike stuff i loved in this episode oh it's so good the wood and mm-hmm. spike is just 
Mm, it's so good. It's so well done, partly because both the actors just mm-hmm. knock it out of the park. But Oh my god, they're so good. Oh, the mm-hmm. way they the way they dance around each other, the way they put mm-hmm. all of that weight on every single line they have to each other. I love the exchange when Buffy says of Spike, he's joking, and Wood says, no, he's not. And Spike says, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's just, no, I'm not. Like, yes. They both know. They both know what's going on. And it's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's also it chilling. Is. It's chilling. Yeah. A lot like, you know, a lot like the the creation of the Slayer line. When you think about mm-hmm. this dynamic between these two, these two men. I mean, oh, that's it's chilling. The It is. They yeah. know. Did, now, does Spike know that Wood knows who no, he is? No, I don't think Spike has made that connection has, yet. Okay. Because I was watching for it. And I'm like, does he know? He clearly knows that think. something is up. But yeah, I think he thinks it's jealousy. I mm. think he thinks that, um, you know, uh, after the events of first date, right. you know, when he was like, what about the principal? When Buffy was like, I'm not ready for you to be gone yet. So there is this sense of a, you know, a very, very weak love triangle, you know, kind of happening here. Um, but I don't think that Spike knows what's going on with Wood or who Wood is as far as, you know, the identity of of Wood as the son of the slayer that he murdered, whose jacket he is currently wearing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a nice touch. I like that. Um, But yeah, the thing that I love about Spike, and we see this in Spike, you know, throughout, but it's especially seen in him, you know, post soul, right, is this idea that he, he knows who he is. He knows what he's done and he's not pretending he is anything other than what he is, which is what I really love. There's an episode in Angel uh, called Damages in which we see Spike really wrestle with exactly that, exactly what they've done and what he deserves to have happened to him, mm-hmm. you know, after the things that he has done. Um, he is under no illusions about who he is or what he's doing, but he lives very much in the now. Um, and I really, I love that about Spike, that he accepts who he is, but he lives in the moment and he's just trying to do what he can in the moment to move forward because holding on to the past doesn't benefit him. And I think that there's definitely a lesson to be learned in that for for some people. I'm not going to say myself. I'm going to say some people, right? <laughs> some people. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I love Spike in this episode. I love that here he is. He's playing it safe. He's not taking risks. You know, the soul has softened him and made him think about what the risks are to the wild things that he would ordinarily do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Buffy says she wants the old Spike. I want the Spike who tried to kill me, who wanted to kill me when we met. Um, And he's nowhere, you know, but when she goes missing and they need that demon, he gets his ass kicked. And then he goes to get the coat because the coat is so tied to his identity as Spike. This is the coat that he pulled off the body of a dead slayer. Um, it is like such a symbol. It has so much meaning. And I love so much that they tied that into Robin Wood, that Robin Wood is sitting there. Nice coat. Where'd you get it? New York. Boom. Yeah. Done. Um, I love that he finds his love for the violence again. Um, he doesn't just take down that demon to save Buffy. Like he is actually having a good time. It's good for the soul. And he lights up a cigarette. It's the integration of the two spikes in this episode. And of course, it comes down to an identity story. And you know how I love identity stories. Yeah. Spike finds his identity. He integrates both sides of himself and now he is fully spike i love it yeah yeah and it's incredibly complex that moment Mm -hmm. of him walking by wood Mm -hmm. you know and then we stay with wood's reaction which i so appreciate yeah because as much fun as it is to see spike do his integration dance and like hoot and holler as he is killing this demon this is also a man who murdered a black woman and that's her son yeah and you know and wood's relationship with 
his mother's death and the vampire who killed her. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, I I am not a black person. And mm-hmm. I wonder what that, like, how the Spike arc feels to someone who is black. Mm-hmm. And it has that moment with Wood and the way he just the way he turns toward the camera with this yeah. like he he is he is just barely holding back from destroying Spike, which mm-hmm. I think he's absolutely within his right to do. Yeah. It's such a it's 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 a really mixed complicated emotional ride for someone who likes this like likes this kind of spike antics i think yeah well because you know what i mean like yeah it's complicated it's complicated Mm -hmm. and they're just the gorgeous visual of Spike sweeping down the hallway mm-hmm. in that coat that has always been a symbol of him. Yeah. And is now also a symbol of this whole other narrative. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so complicated. It is. It's so complex. And this is the thing. Like, you can love Spike for what he is, you know, but don't forget what he is. Like I am completely with Robin Wood on this. Like, I love Spike, but yeah, that's terrible. And I mean, the relationship is, as you bring up the fact that this is a black woman, you know, and her son, you know, who have been, you know, uh, been brutalized by, again, a white man. And let's not forget, we have Spike has killed two slayers, both women of color, right? Yeah. Um, The Buffy, uh, you know, um, track record with race is not great. Um, it is really, really not great. And I think that that deserves an acknowledgement here as well. Um, but that does even add more layers of complication to this story. I think they are unacknowledged layers. They are textually mm-hmm. unacknowledged. We don't talk about the fact that here is a white vampire who, who murdered a black woman. We talk about the vampire who killed the slayer. You know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, race for Spike may not have had anything to do with it. This just happened to be the Slayer. And so he killed the Slayer. But these are choices that are made within a fiction. And those choices on a meta level are things that need to be looked at. Somebody made the choice to have him murder an Asian Slayer. Somebody made the choice to have him murder a Black Slayer. Um, mm-hmm. And that the the Slayer that he does not murder I mean, consistently fails to murder. Not that he hasn't tried, but like consistently fails to murder, of course, is the classic, beautiful, white, blonde girl, you know? Um, so I think that that's something that absolutely, you know, needs a look. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I am the most qualified person to give it that look, but I absolutely acknowledge that we've got we've got some race issues going on here um, as well. Um, but it is a very complicated story with Spike. I love this part of the reason why I love Spike as a character, because he does have that complexity. There are things about him that are completely detestable. And then there are things about him that are completely lovable. And he is both of those things. You know, we, we come here every week and we talk about Buffy. And I know one of the criticisms I get is if you don't like Buffy so much, why do even watch it no, 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 no. don't talk about it if you hate it so much i don't hate it i love it i love it but i love a lot of things that are very very complicated and everything there are good parts and there are bad parts and if you have to be willing to acknowledge the whole in order to truly love the whole um and and these are some things that buffy as a show has some some issues with yeah well and it's also i mean buffy is a time capsule mm-hmm. too that's yeah. something that we talk about a little bit mm-hmm. on still pretty but not a whole lot that you know this is the the things that made the show a big deal mm-hmm. made the show a big deal 20 years ago and for good reason i think yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of those things were you know this was the first time we mm-hmm. saw certain representation on television Mm -hmm. so holding holding the show where it where it was in history i think knowing what was going on in the television landscape is really helpful to keep in mind as well and i think a lot of the a lot of what we notice and a lot of what we 
are critical of mm-hmm. is content that would, I hope, would be handled differently if we were making the show today. There yeah. is some of this is this is this is what we were working with. And some of it holds up really well. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of it holds a up lot really well. Yeah. And some of it really does not. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's always this jumping off point for conversation about story in general, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, you've said repeatedly, that's a big reason why you return to Buffy yeah. over and over again, is that it is this jumping off point for understanding story, how we do it, how maybe we need to tweak it, mm-hmm. what, you know, what works, what doesn't. I mean, just all of this. So all of this complexity with Spike I think is complexity that we don't get to see exist in other characters. Yes. Like exactly. Spike, I mean, Spike has delight armor, but he also has a particular. I mean, I think, I do think it is, it's like there's whiteness and maleness that's, that doesn't need justifying. Yes. So he can be complicated in all of these other ways. Whereas, like Buffy, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Buffy in this episode comes across as so harsh. Like yes. she is insensitive and almost mean when Chloe dies by suicide. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's another thing. Just side note, you know, along with rape, suicide is one of those things that just gets thrown into media yep. for shock value. Yeah, somebody dies by suicide, and we're just like. Well, that moves the story forward or that was shocking. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a much like, deeper issue as well. I mean, that's another yeah. one of those things that like, if you're going to use it, it is okay for you to use these things in stories. As I've said, I'm not going to go on. Absolutely. It too much. These are real things in the world. Yes. Yes. But let's let's put suicide in there along that alongside that discussion of the rape. It's It's the same thing. If you're going to use it then use it, then do it, then talk about it, you know, yeah. to throw it in there for shock value. And then, and then just that's it. You know, um, yeah. I think that I think that it's important that you as that we as storytellers use these elements in our stories thoughtfully. And, you know, one of the things um Two that I think is also really important and, and I like to say, you know, but I, I don't say it with enough frequency for me is that, you know, in, in Thunderdome between critic and creator, creator wins every time. Like the people who go out into the world and bring in something new um, are doing an incredible thing and we get to talk about it and we get to analyze it. And and sometimes as a critic, I feel a responsibility to look at these things and say, yes, this is there. Yes, we see it. We are not going to allow more gaslighting to pile upon gaslighting when you see a text that treats something like it doesn't matter when it matters. Yes, it does. You know, mm-hmm. at the same time, that doesn't mean that there aren't things about it that are really wonderful, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But to to circle back to your point, when you're talking about the protection that Spike as a white man gets to be complex and 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 complicated, but Buffy is so harsh. You know, we deal with this death of Chloe. She comes in, she yells at everybody. She throws the shovel down, you know, um, and she says, I'll just put your body out in the yard next to Chloe's and Annabelle's, which by the way, society hasn't entirely broken down. Like these are bodies of people that like, I think, yeah. you know, I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. It's weird, but uh, you know, I can't deal with that right now. Um, but I mean, I like your point about this, that like, it, it's really hard to watch Buffy be like this, but if Buffy was a man, would mm-hmm. we have that reaction? Would we have this yeah. requirement that she be nurturing? Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting to me that as much as I hate this mm-hmm. from her, I appreciate that she does do a thing that is like, I mean, mm-hmm. in my notes, I call it confusingly radical. Yes. Like, she gets to be harsh and she gets to be angry mm-hmm. and she gets to be kind of emotionless or maybe just emotion light. It's sometimes yes. hard to tell. Um, but if she is in what I what I feel like is a very recognizable male action hero mm-hmm. mode 
when she's giving that speech and she's confronting everybody in this really harsh, almost cruel way. Mm -hmm. It's it is it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, because as much as I hate it. And then Willow is like, no, she's right, which is also an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating to consider that this this dynamic, this affect in a room full of people where, you know, you've declared war. This is literally life and death. I'm not, you know, if you want to be the next one I bury, you know, be my guest. We see dudes do this action hero-y stuff all the time, and it's Mm -hmm. totally fine. Yeah, it's P.S. It's not totally fine, but you know what I mean. Like we don't, right. we the don't. drill sergeant kind of cruelty, yeah. right? Which is, which is, you know, here are these like, you know, we see it in the war movies, right? You know, we've got yeah. the drill sergeant, your full metal jacket, right? You've got a drill sergeant who's trying to prepare young, scared kids to go out into an inhumane situation and just murder people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're trying to prepare people to be in a situation that is itself inhumane you subject them to inhumanity you are mm-hmm. inhumane with them and then that protects them and that um that you know makes them tougher it toughens them up it also probably you know like d- disconnects them from their own humanity um there's a lot of of a cost for that but the idea that toughening them up makes it more likely that they will survive whatever inhumane thing they're about to face i mean there's there's a history for that working doesn't mean it's great you know, yeah, I but mean, yeah, like, working yeah. relative to whatever your goal is, working right? Relative you wanna... to whatever your goal is, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, and that's and when we see Kennedy doing that with Chloe in the beginning, it is also, I mean, and I'm already like, I'm already not liking Kennedy, I am not a Kennedy fan to begin with. So when I yeah. see Kennedy speaking to Chloe that way, calling her a maggot. Right. Yeah. Like, is that is that really the way we want to do things? You know, um, and the fact that that's the way that things are being done, um, yeah. not really being addressed. It's you know, and again, it's one of these things like it's OK to show people doing things that are bad. Fiction is for that. That's the point. But when the, the text, uh, you know, um, co-signs it, that's where we get into kind of some some area. And I think with Buffy, I am also equally uncomfortable with it. And when I think about it, if I saw a man doing this, trying to toughen up the troops so that they survive this fight. Um, would I have as much of a problem? I mean, that is a really, really good question because we expect women to nurture. And when they don't do that, we judge them for it. It's, you know, it's a tough space to be in to kind of like question, you know, my own biases in that way. Yeah. And to see Kennedy and to see everyone really Mm -hmm. lean into this particular way of being powerful that goes back to mm-hmm. the the creation of the first slayer. Yep. You know, abuse of power to create warriors. Mm-hmm. This idea that this idea that it is it has to be harsh and we have to separate you from your humanity at least a little bit yeah. in order to make you strong so you mm-hmm. can fight the thing. Like it's I mean thematically Thematically, it's good. And I think it's, you know, it's that beginning, it's that beginning feminism that we all had to, mm-hmm. um, you know, we all encounter at one point or another where we go, wait a minute. It's like men and women aren't equal. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. like if women want to be powerful, they have to act like men. I mean, it's very, mm-hmm. you know, very, very, beginner feminism i think is what we're seeing here with like the first yeah the first steps but i mean most of us had to had to confront that at some point right. yeah um, because there's a certain point where we're like okay let's be men with boobs you know i mean to completely right. you know uh bring this down to a, a very very you know um simplistic level um 
And that behaving and that equality was the ability to behave in the way that men behaved, right? Right. You know, and, and maybe equality is, is more about being able to decide a different way of doing things that is also effective. Um, so here we have uh, two women who are co-opting extremely masculine ways of, of dealing with, with power, you know, um, mm-hmm. And uh, and is that necessarily the right way to go? And then we see another very, very masculine way of of dealing with power in the the shadow men and what happened to Sunea, the first slayer. And we don't I don't I don't think we're consciously making that connection here. Um, And that's part of it. It feels like it's presented and it is thematically on point, but it is unexamined. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny sometimes with. Buffy, I don't know if the themes are there on purpose. <laughs> like, yeah. did they know? Like, did I, they know sure. they were writing this? I I'm don't know. Sure. And I think yeah. sometimes, I think the answer is it depends. Yeah. And I think sometimes yes and sometimes no. I mean, it's like, it's like Willow in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And magic. And I can't believe I have to talk about Willow and magic again. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love it. I love talking about Willow and magic, but also... It, but here we are again, this. right? Let's go yes. around this mulberry bush another here we time, go right? Again, mm-hmm. I wonder if there were arguments in the writers' room. I, yeah. wa- I really want to know. I know. Not enough to, not enough to do that deep dive, but I'm, I am curious, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. okay, Willow, Willow. In this episode, Willow is presented as this incredibly powerful magical Mm -hmm. tank who Mm -hmm. refuses to cooperate in a war against the biggest, baddest evil ever. Mm -hmm. But you told her, you, the show, you told her not to use her magic and now she's not, but now that's a problem? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's, It's such, it's so frustrating. This magic... So magic has been all of these things. And mm-hmm. now now when we're looking at Willow and her magic, she's incredibly powerful. We know this. We love this. Everyone loves this except Willow, who <laughs> has been told or has been taught or something mm-hmm. that magic is this loss of control. Right. And that there's something destructive in her. I mean, she says to Kennedy, it's important that you know what I'm like when I'm like that mm-hmm. as almost a, it's almost a Jekyll Hyde thing it's almost a, we're kind of back to Oz is a werewolf mm-hmm. a little bit you know yeah. vicious killing machine monster but also this person that we love so very much mm-hmm. and that's kind of that seems to be kind of where we've landed with Willow in this episode the that's how it works that's how I work like this is part of me but it's scary and dark and, you know, and the shameful. subtext of like, yeah, yeah, and shameful and like, you need to know what I'm really like. It's mm-hmm. like this secret, hidden, shameful part of her. And if I squint at the subtext here, this is a story about lack of self-trust mm-hmm. or internalized misogyny or internalized anti-queerness. Mm-hmm. Like, if I allow myself to be myself, I will destroy the world. Yeah. And it's just never, but it's never really addressed. It's never really unpacked, except that Willow's big task is self-control. Mm-hmm. Like that seems to be where she struggles. That seems to be where her goal is. Like I need to access this magic, but I need to do it with self-control it's a pretty problematic message when you think about it. Yeah. Be yourself, but not like that. <laughs> right. And then conversely, we have Spike's integration of self or whatever hinging upon that loss of control. He's supposed to be both evil and ensouled. Yeah. And he's presented in such a way that, like, we like it. Like, even when he's evil, he's like Richard Third evil mm-hmm. and that we're like, ooh, that's, ooh, that's evil. But, like... Yeah, like go, it. man, go. Like it's, <laughs> exactly. It's complicated mm-hmm. as hell. But there is this like, there's a there is a gender disparity mm-hmm. when it comes to 
the integration of darkness, whatever that means, or Mm -hmm. power or the potential to be destructive. I don't know. I call patriarchal shenanigans. I think you're absolutely right. Again, right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that it is that that a white, a straight, cis, able white man, like all of those things is able to be, is allowed to have that kind of complexity that we do not allow in anyone who doesn't tick those boxes, right? All of those Mm -hmm. boxes. Um, Although I guess you could say with Richard III that there was some disability presented in Richard III as well. So I think that maybe we get a little bit of that uh, there. But, right. but mostly you have to tick all of the the privilege boxes in order to be allowed a level of complexity that that will enable us to see your good and your bad and hold both of them at the same time. Right. You know, um, or to just enjoy somebody being. Yeah evil and sneaky and conniving and whatever whatever you know not right not from that a that's woman what, not that that's what willow a person is of at color all. would we allow that you know? right yeah I, right. I don't think that we do yeah um i'm trying to think of a character who is not you know a tick all the boxes white man where we allow that i mean you know we'll spend an entire series staring at the navel lint and tony soprano's belly button um, and and loving it, but we don't allow this from anybody who is not, you know, of those boxes of privilege. And, you know, and I think that that's it saddens me because I like this complication. I like the complexity that we have with Spike. I'd like to see that in characters that don't necessarily tick all of those boxes, you know, but um, I think that your patriarchal shenanigans and white along with white supremacy shenanigans and all kinds of supremacy shenanigans are all involved in this, you know. Um, but one of the things about this with Willow is that I when Willow's apologizing, you know, um, I, I, I don't really care that much for that because Willow is, is she is who she is. I want to see her accept herself the way that Spike accepts himself, the way that Spike is allowed mm-hmm. to accept himself. And as she says to Kennedy, I told you, and she did, you know, in no way did she hide this from Kennedy. I told you, this is what I am. This is Multiple how I Multiple times. Exactly. Yeah. And if she had been saying that, not in a way that was apologetic, you know, the way that it was presented in the show. But this is who I am. This is how I work. And if you want to ride this this ride, you're going to have to be this tall, which means that you are either tall enough or you are not. You make that decision. But this is who mm-hmm. I am. And this is what goes on here. So if you want to get on the Willow bus, that's how it's going to go. Um, you know, so I, I would have appreciated Willow having some of that self-knowledge and that unapologetic, that is the past, I am in the present, and this is what I'm doing now. And by the way, I just brought Buffy back from another plane for the second time. Like, right. you know, yeah. bad ass. Like, where is the celebration of Willow and what she is? Yeah. Well, and where is that? Like, I could see Willow saying something to the effect of like, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Because like, it yeah. could be oh, physically sure. painful. And then... You know, you don't even you don't even need to do that much of a rewrite. It really mm-hmm. could just have been Kennedy saying, it's OK, you told me like you told me how it worked or something exactly. like that, you know, and then and then. All right. And then this is like supposed to put this strain on their relationship. They're like non-existent relationship that we've just that like we can't really see. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Two queer women. Sure. You know, it's that level. But OK. We could have made a a more compelling Mm -hmm. narrative for the two of them. I mean, if their relationship had been chugging along as a relationship up to this point, if then Willow physically hurts Kennedy in this really like Kennedy knows how this works, Mm -hmm. but then she's surprised by, oh, no, that actually that really fucking hurt. Exactly. And then and to, to have say, that, yeah. like, grappling with, 
like, I know you're powerful and I still like need a minute <laughs> would yeah, be no, great. I think that that's fine. Like her needing a minute is fine. It's it's Willow's apology for who she yeah. is. That's where yeah. I'm like, exactly. Kennedy being like, yeah, you told me, but until I saw it, I didn't know. And I just need to take a breath. Like, I'm not blaming you. This is Which something is wrong fine. with you. That would have yeah. been completely fine. But Kennedy overall is a problem for me in this episode. Um, you know, I find it really annoying that Kennedy who was so cruel to Chloe using this exact like abuse as motivation tool um, was also Mm -hmm. the first to bristle when Buffy did it. I'd have more respect for Kennedy if she understood what Buffy was doing and was like, hell yeah, girlfriend, because this is where she lives. This is what she is actually doing. So the fact that she can do it to other people, but as soon as somebody does it to her, oh no, that's not okay. Like I would have so much more respect for Kennedy if she had been on Buffy's side in that moment. Kennedy could have been uh, Kennedy could have been a great character. She could have been. I mean, she could have been. She could have been a gets great character. Better from here on out, but she suffers from uh, uh written from, by a manosis. <laughs> I think maybe. I think maybe. Yeah. A little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. And it's a shame because I do like I I mean I know I've had my problems with Kennedy and I've made them perfectly clear. At the same time, I I like the actress. I like Ayari Limon. I like um, I think that that she's really good at portraying this like tough person, you know, and if if we had had Kennedy, you know, doling out the slaps, but also taking them, you know, and being like, yeah. I am here for business, you know, even if I don't agree with her that like calling somebody a maggot is really the way to make them survive this horrible thing. Um you know, I, at the same time, I would have at least respected her if she could live on both sides of that equation equally, you know, but she can't. Or if um, she were yeah. if she were just a, a bigger, more nuanced character where we got to see that little arc of, oh, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. Yeah. And having oh, yeah. to grapple with like how that feels and realizing mm-hmm. that, oh, maybe this performative toughness yeah is a cover maybe for that's not the way how powerless you really feel you know there's i mean we've seen that story before in yeah. other stories but like that could have existed that could have been great i don't know we're it's not just... telling a kennedy story though that's the thing no. like if they were telling a kennedy story then great follow that line through you know play through right. by all means but they're not doing that and so it just ends up making kennedy look even worse and kennedy can't really afford that right now uh, you know, Kennedy's Kennedy's having yeah. a rough, a rough, you know, launch <laughs> a here rough in go the of it. I don't right. know. Um, yeah. But I, I'd like to take a moment once again, which I think this is probably just going to become a regular feature of the Still Pretty podcast is my Dawn is Awesome segment. Um, oh, my word. Yeah. Love yeah. Dawn. Um, I know every week I'm like Dawn is a badass, but the girl is reading Sumerian. She has the knowledge. She's learning everything. She's in the fight. She's not afraid. She's not backing down. I love her so much. She is my favorite. The best, the absolute best Dawn moment is mm-hmm. Dawn getting Willow to rethink being oh. able to do magic. Mm-hmm. That is so good. That mm-hmm. is so, so impressive. Willow is completely overwhelmed. Everybody's like, you got to do magic. You got to magic this. You got to mm-hmm. open a portal. You got to bring Buffy back. She's like, I have no idea. I don't I don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. And Dawn finally is like, all right, what would you tell another witch? <gasps> I love it so and much. I get full body goosebumps because mm-hmm. that is so good. And then Willow's like, well, probably start here and do this and and. Dawn is like, okay, well, then what? And Willow, mm-hmm. then Willow's off and running. Yeah, she got her started. She got her from I'm zero like, to that one. Is so good. What would you so say to much. someone else in this situation? Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Dawn I is love a pro. Dawn, Dawn is, is fabulous. Freaking yeah. pro. I know. I love, her. I love her so much. And I really want to change the narrative around Dawn in the Buffyverse. <laughs> one <laughs> podcast at a time. All right, Noelle. So here we are at the end of Get It Done. And I want to know, what's your favorite part? Okay. So I think my actual favorite part is that moment with Dawn and Willow. Yeah. But uh. I have a favorite part just on a personal, mm-hmm. like on a personal level. And it's when Andrew says, you keep bringing people in, they're going to see everything. And then <laughs> I had forgotten the line. So I said out loud with Andrew, they'll see the big board. 
It's it's Andrew and the big board. It's they'll see the big Aww. board. It's that reference to Doctor Strange Love, which I will mm-hmm. like if you set that up, if you set up the they'll they're gonna see everything line or something mm-hmm. to that effect, I will say they'll see the big board. <laughs> so my forgetting that Andrew uh-huh. had said that mm-hmm. and then saying it along with the show is my Aww. favorite is my favorite part of this episode. <laughs> I love it. And I have to say, Tom Link just remains so incredibly charming. And next week, oh, storyteller. Oh next week. Oh, God, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite Andrew episode. It's so, so great. Just um, the best. Yeah. Uh, for me, I got to say, my favorite part, nice coat. Where'd you get it? New York. Like New York. that yeah. is so great. It's such a great exchange. I love the way it's shot where we're seeing the camera, it's eyes on wood following spikes, you know, movement throughout the um the hallway. I love everything about that moment and it is it speaks so well for the writers out there. It speaks so well to the power of economy. It's like eight words, you know, mm-hmm. and yet what it does in this story is so great. Love it. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Shipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Hey, did you know all Patreon supporters get access to the Discord channel where the hosts and listeners chat about, well, pretty much everything. Also, supporters at the $10 and up level get to attend recordings live and see me do and redo the uh, summaries because I write them without thinking about them and then I don't edit them and then they're terrible and I have to rewrite them on the fly. So if that sounds like fun to you, you got to come hang out with us. Pledge your support now. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Michael, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, it's Spell O'Clock. While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or declare an emergency. We'll be back next time with Storyteller, the 16th episode of Season 7. Until then, show me the vampire. Show me the vampire.